we've created an environment where we're getting all these muddled messages about mm. how do I actually scale? And no one's really talking about how do you take the good stuff about the leverage approach, the good stuff about the team approach, and put it together in a way that's going to actually work for you. You're listening to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, the podcast for coaches, thought leaders, and change makers who are ready to become the standout expert. If that's you, stay tuned because you're in the right place. I'm your host, Samantha Riley, and I want to help you build a successful business sharing your expertise, generate the impact and income you need to create your ideal lifestyle. It's time to make a difference and scale up. Are you ready? Let's enter the lab. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, Brianne. It's so wonderful to have you joining me today. I am so excited. You know, just before we hit record, we said we're going to nerd out. I am <laughs> so down from some nerding out, and I hope everyone that's listening is too. That is so funny because I just said, oh, don't do set questions. We're just going to nerd out. And you were like, oh, that is so cool. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know we're on a podcast, so folks can't see the wall behind me. But I, have, I mean, I've got my Lego minifigs just down that way. I've got my Millennium Falcon picture. I've got like all of my nerdy, geeky stuff. So I'm really excited to just nerd out about all of the geeky business stuff. Absolutely. Let's do this. Before we start, why don't you share a little bit with our listeners about what it is that you do and the kinds of people that you serve? Yeah, absolutely. Love to. So I'm the co-founder of a business called Visionary CEO Academy. Co-founder because my partner, Jill, is also in the business with me. We like to joke that uh, Team Brianne is the more consulty side. We're anti-cat and anti-coffee. And Team Jill is more of the coachy side, very pro-cat and coffee and tea and all that stuff is amazing. So we're the co-founders of this Visionary CEO Academy. You can, you know, if you are listening to this and you want to give me a shout out on Facebook or Insta, whatever your platform is, tag if you're Team Brianne, because I need more people on my team. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we work with folks who have an online business, primarily coaches, consultants, strategists, who feel as though the biggest thing that's standing between them and a million dollar business is that they don't have a scalable offer. They've got something that gets great results. They know how to sell it. They know how to market it. But if I were to give you 10 clients today, you would fall apart. And so what we do if you're in that situation, and I imagine what we're going to talk about in the next little while here is what do you do in that situation? How do you build the offer, the systems, the team, all of that kind of stuff so that you can stay in your zone of genius, you can build a business that you love, and you can keep getting the amazing results that you're getting for clients at the same time. Mm, love it. We are. But I do have to, I do have a confession. I can't go on Team Brand or Team Jill because I don't like cats, but I do like coffee. So, <laughs> <laughs> so my philosophy, we actually foster cats and this has been a long time coming for Jill. She's been wanting to have some cats and I have decided that kittens are not yet cats. So oh, kittens, I'm okay. I'm on your side then. Right? It's all good. You've just changed it. Okay. Team there we go. <laughs> there we go. Team Brianne all the way. I got another vote. I'll tell Jill when I'm done here that we've got another person on Team Brianne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to talk about how to scale your business, which is a topic that we cover quite often on this podcast, you know, without 
you know, having that day-to-day grind. What I love about what you're talking about is whilst also keeping the personal touch super high. Because mm. this is also what I love. Because what I find is that a lot of people that talk about this talk about taking that touch point away. And when I think about a lot of the experts that I work with, and it sounds like that you work with too, we want to be in the online space, but personal connection is still super, super important. And not just important because, you know, because human, but because this is the way that we're going to give our clients the greatest transfer greatest transformation there I got it out (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're absolutely right and I think you know we're in this online business space and you look at the messages that we're often given about how you scale your business and what I've seen is that if you're a coach or you would consider yourself more in that kind of sphere then the message that you're given is the way you scale is by decreasing personal touch by going to courses or group programs, which, you know, well, maybe you put 10 people in a group program, but eventually maybe you need to have 100 people in your group program because if you want to keep scaling, you need to keep putting more people in it or membership sites or, you know, all of these one-to-many options. And that's the message that we're told is if you want to scale as a coach, you need to essentially leverage your personal touch out of the business. And on the flip side, service providers and agency owners get a very different message and they're taught that if you want to scale you need to hire more people you need to build your team you need to be able because you need to be able to keep doing all that work with your clients and be able to give them these custom results and so we've got these two messages out there which if it's no surprise to me and you know if you're a coach or, or an agency or service provider maybe you've had the experience where you get to a point in your business where man, I'm really tired of having to hire and manage and chase this team around. Maybe I should just go build a course like the coaches do. Mm -hmm. Or the coaches who say, oh, I can't put more than 10 people in my program without, you know, the group coaching calls getting to be hours and hours long. Maybe I need to just go and hire a bunch of people. And so we've created an environment where we're getting all these muddled messages about Mm. how do I actually scale and no one's really talking about how do you take the good stuff about the leverage approach, the good stuff about the team approach and put it together in a way that's going to actually work for you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start off talking about the symptoms that people may be seeing in their business where they know that something's not quite right, but they maybe don't know what it is. Let's start there. Yeah. I was just talking with someone about this earlier today and I'm a martial arts practitioner, and one of the things I'm studying lately is uh, I'm starting to learn some Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so grappling. What do you do when you're on the ground and someone is trying to keep you there, right? Uh uh And uh, one of the things that has really struck me as I've been learning about Brazilian jiu-jitsu is a lot of people think that learning BJJ is about learning certain moves. Mm-hmm. That if you just know the right move, you get into this situation, someone, your opponent's in this particular position, you have the right move, then you'll be able to get out. Mm-hmm. But what an experienced practitioner of any martial art knows is that you can never know enough moves. Mm-hmm. You can never know, like there's always, someone's always going to give you something that you don't have a move for, that mm-hmm. you don't have a way to respond to. And when I was 
talking with the gal I'm thinking in particular earlier today, I gave her that analogy and saying, I think that's how you're feeling in your business because you've tried all the right moves. Mm -hmm. You've done the building the course thing. You've done the hiring thing. You've done the building systems thing. You've created SOPs. You've on the surface, you've done all the right moves. And yet you're finding yourself in a situation where you're kind of out of moves to try and you're still working too much. You don't know the last time you took a real vacation that didn't require you to work. You still aren't sure how you could double your revenue without just putting people into a really big group program. You're running out of money because you're spending all your money on this team that you can't really afford and you're out of moves because nothing that you've learned from this, you know, I'm in this situation, I know what move to do you're out of moves. You don't know what to do because mm. this paradigm isn't, it's gotten to you where you are, but it's not going to get you beyond that. Mm. So if there's never enough moves, where do we go from here? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right? Because I think a lot of us, we get to this point. I remember it very clearly in my business where I had learned so many moves, so many techniques and tactics and things to try that it started to get to the point where every move I learned sounded like all the other moves I'd already tried, mm. right? And in some ways that was great because it was like, oh, I'm starting to see the patterns. I'm starting to understand what really works. But in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, as well as in business, when you can't ever learn enough moves to be able to deal with any situation, you need to instead be able to look, what are the reasons that the moves you have made have or have not been working. So rather than saying, I'm in this particular situation, to use the martial arts analogy, yep, I'm yep. in this particular situation and the move that I should do is put my arms that way and my butt that way. Uh -huh. And that should get me out. And then all of a sudden that doesn't work. What I want to ask myself is, what am I actually trying to achieve by putting my arms this way and my butt that way? Well, what I'm trying to achieve is I'm trying to adjust my center of gravity or I'm trying to use opponent's momentum. I'm trying to use kind of these fundamental principles and adjust based on these principles. And it manifests as putting my hands out and moving my butt back, but it's actually that I'm shifting my center of gravity or I'm shifting my balance. Mm -hmm. Same thing's true in your business. You can have hiring as a tactic or building systems as a tactic or putting more leverage into your delivery as a tactic, as a move. But the question that I want you to be asking yourself if you feel like the moves aren't working is, well, what's actually the reason underneath? Why are we doing these moves? Mm. Is it that, for example, delivery model, usually what's going on is that you're trying to improve the balance of your business's profitability and your client's results. Ideally, we want to make sure both of those things are as high as they can be at the same time. Mm -hmm. We want maximum client results and maximum profit. So instead of asking the question, what business model or what delivery model should I evolve to, which is like a move, should I do mm -hmm. a course? Should I you know, create a new service? Should I productize an offering? Instead, we wanna ask the question that's underneath the move and say, well, what I'm really wondering is how can I maximize profit and maximize results? The answer to that question is going to tell me how I can react to whatever is going on, whether I'm at a few hundred thousand dollars a year of revenue 
or a few million dollars a year in revenue. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So when we ask ourselves the question, because it's all about better questions, right? That's exactly what you're saying here. And we're asking ourselves, what is it that we're trying to do? We've used all the tactics, but we know we need to do something else. What we're trying to do is create a, you know, greater results for our clients and greater profits. How do we know where to go next? So what mm. you know, we've asked ourselves the question, but where? Where are we going with that? <laughs> How do we actually start to get some answers to this, right? Correct. We, yeah, because, you know, I don't know about you, but in my office, no one answers when I ask the question. No, you just put it out there and there's, yeah. no, there's no big yeah. booming voices from No, heaven, unfortunately, right? no. <laughs> well, when I say to really look at the profit and the results and maximizing those things, I actually mean it quite literally. What I'll do, ask a client to do first is list out all of the things that you do in your service delivery. So if you're a coach, list out what happens first in your program, what happens on a coaching call, what happens in the first set of exercises or videos or however it is you deliver it. List out all of the what that happens. If you're a service provider, what are all the kind of steps of your process from the moment someone buys to the moment the project is finished listed out and listed out in more detail than you think is reasonable mm-hmm. so go like to the point where it's almost painful <laughs> to list out all of these bits and pieces once you've done that then look at an individual piece just one step of your process at a time and ask yourself how valuable is this to the client So how much does it contribute to them getting the result? Could they get the result if we didn't do this one little piece of the process? Mm -hmm. Do they find it ownersome or burdensome or kind of painful to do? These kind of questions help us determine how integral that part of the process is to the journey and the results that our clients are getting. Mm -hmm. So we can ask that question. Then we can ask a similar question about that same step in our process We can say, how integral is this piece of the process to our business's ability to generate profit? How Mm -hmm. valuable is this to the business? Is it something that takes a lot of time and it feels like it's, you know, it takes way more time than it's worth. It's like a soul sucking thing for us to do as a business or as a team. Is it something that we do and we use other places? So, you know, maybe I have an intake form and I use kind of sneakily some of that insight that in future marketing this is ooh, that's really good language that provides value to the business and creates more profit so that mm-hmm. might be a good step in your process but as you go through this you're literally looking at what you're already doing so the moves you're already making in the business you're asking this question of is this actually valuable to the client is it driving results is it actually valuable to the business and is it driving profit And depending on the answer to those questions, it starts to invite answers as to where do I go from here? Because Mm. it shows you why your business, why your delivery isn't scalable because it's either not providing the results that it needs because it's ineffective in some way and you're doing it because you think you should, but Uh it's not really creating the results or you're doing something, but you're spending a lot of time on it, a lot of energy on it. And it's not really helping the business. It's bottlenecking your business or it's causing these constraints. And so we look at this value exchange, value to the client, value to the business on the individual pieces of 
what your process is. Because what we want to do is you've already got something that's working, right? You wouldn't have got to where you are in your business. You wouldn't be thinking about scaling up if you hadn't already got to something that mm, works. Mm -hmm. So let's not throw it all out. Instead, let's identify just those pieces of the process where value to the business is low, value to the client is low, and figure out how to address that rather than what most of us do, which is when something's not working, we try and redesign the whole thing the and whole then thing. we end up in a mess. Yeah, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Love that, love that. So as you're going through the process, is this the time that you would look to see what can we also hand off to a team member? Is this happening at the same time? It's a really good question and I think about it in terms of do I want to give a team member something that's ultimately not valuable? The mm -hmm. answer is no. I don't want my team to be spending time on things that either aren't profitable or aren't helping the client get the result. So what I recommend is you go through your process first, you figure out what is valuable in its current state to one or both groups. Mm -hmm what is maybe kind of valuable, but not super valuable to one or both, and then what's not valuable at mm -hmm. all. And if it's not valuable to you or the client, you just stop doing it. Yeah, right? we, get, we get rid of those <laughs> bits. Get rid of <laughs> if it's something that is maybe valuable to the client, but not profitable for you, or is profitable for you, but not valuable to the client, then we ask, how can I shift the balance? How can I do things differently? And when we find the things that are valuable to the client and valuable to the business, that's when we know that this is an opportunity for us to involve a team member, because that's a place where they're going to be able to step in. They're going to be able to do something that's valuable for all involved. And who knows, maybe if you think about it in terms of the individual steps of the process, instead of just giving them the whole thing to do, you might be able to find that they can even do those pieces of the process better than you could. And that's mm. really cool. And that's something that I learned many, many years ago. One of my very first mentors, and I was only in my early 20s, he said to me, don't ever think that you need to be the best at everything. He said, in actual fact, the best way to grow your business is to find the people that are already the best at something. Yes. So that's something that I learned very, very early in the piece back in my traditional bricks and mortar businesses. And when I had my dance studio, I always looked for the best teachers. So of course, I was still always upskilling and I was always, mm -hmm. you know, whatever but I always hired the best teachers. And I think that is something that stuck with me right through is that we cannot build our business when we're trying to always be learning and being the best at everything because we can't do it. No. And I think what's really interesting is imagine for a moment that your business was a billion dollar business, billion with a B. So it's like a really big business. It's got like a whole bunch of people. It's got a big team. And maybe that terrifies you. You're like, I don't want that, but just stick with me. Okay. Stick with me for a moment. What I want you to imagine is in that billion dollar business, how many different job titles would there be to deliver the service that you deliver right now or to mm. deliver the program that you have right now. Because most of us are so used to thinking about our very small teams, our very small business, that we just assume that 
I should be doing all of these different things and that I'm the best person to be doing all of these different things. But somehow when we think about what if I had this massive team, what if I had a team of hundreds or thousands of people, each of those steps in my process that I outlined might be done by a different person. Like that could be a specialist's job to just do the intake forms or just do the client onboarding call or just do whatever the step of the process is. And when you look at it that way, I find that it helps me personally to appreciate just how many jobs I'm actually doing, not just how many tasks I'm doing, but how many jobs I'm doing, how many different hats I'm wearing, how many different things I'm trying to be good at, things I'm trying to be an expert at. And from there, I can start to open myself up to this possibility that, well, what if I didn't try and do all of these, even if it's just 40 or 50 different jobs, I, instead of trying to wear 40 or 50 different hats, what if I took this one hat and I found someone whose head fit that hat perfectly and they were meant to be that person and that was their zone of genius? Wouldn't that be better for me, because I'm not wearing all these hats, but also for my clients, because they're now getting someone who's, that's their zone of genius. Mm. And isn't it better for the team member too, because they get to do work that lights them up, that excites them, that they're really good at. It shocks me to no end that there are people out there who enjoy proofreading. I do not oh. understand these people. <laughs> I don't understand them, but there are people out there who actually really love proofreading and that level of detail-oriented focused work. And for me, realizing that if I try and hold on to something like that, I'm actually robbing someone else of the opportunity to do something that gives them joy. Mm. So it's not just that it's a good idea for me as a business owner to give them that thing to do. But what if someone really is good at it? There's someone out there who loves proofreading. I was talking with a client earlier today who is a lawyer and she loves reviewing contracts. Again, wow. right? There are people we, we out there. We need those people. We need right. them because <laughs> some of us are not. Exactly. And I think we end up in a situation often where we become entrepreneurs. And this is true of most of the high-performing business owners, entrepreneurs that I know personally that I've met. We reach the level of success because we're smart. Mm -hmm. Maybe not book smart, but we're smart. We can figure a lot of things out. We can solve a lot of problems. And we become our own worst enemy mm -hmm. because the very thing that got us to this level of success is the thing that's ultimately going to hold us back from the next level because our ability to solve problems is what gets us focused on the moves mm. because we think I have a problem. I need to find a solution rather than I have a problem. My business needs a way to address this and find a solution. Not I need to find a solution. My business needs to find a solution. Mm. I find that that place that you're talking about where, you know, we're saying I am the best person. And this is definitely a place where most people stop but I'm the best person at this. There's no one else that can do it better than I can is such a dangerous place for business owners because we are thinking that we are the best at everything. Now, the things that are in our genius zone, they're easy to understand. 
that we're really good at them. The things that we're bad at, it's really easy to understand mm-hmm. these are the things that we're bad at. Where it starts to get tricky is these things in the middle. The yes. things that we're okay at that we keep doing because it's easier to just do it rather than train a team member, you know, and mm-hmm. oh, but you know, I'm okay at that or I'm good at that. And not understanding that by handing it off that your perception of them not being better than you is only your perception that someone else, and I learned this this myself, that someone else out there might think that other person is actually better than you. So yeah. it's a very dangerous place to sit there. And, and I think that what we do as business owners to focus on the business and not let our ego get in the way and think that we are the best is definitely what needs to happen at this point that you're talking where we're asking ourselves these questions and saying, well, what's got to go and what has to stay? We need to get really, really like let that ego go and start to go, okay, well, maybe there is someone else that's better. And I think it's a really interesting question to almost turn on its head and say, what if it's true that I really am the best person to do this? Like, what does that actually mean? If I am the best person to do this, does that equal, therefore, I should always be the one that does it? Mm -hmm. Because that's an interesting thing. But let's actually take that through to its extreme. I'm the best at this. Therefore, I should always be the one to do this. Okay, so how many people can I be the best at this for? Mm -hmm. Can I be the best at it so long as I have one person? So long as I have five people? Am I still the best at it if I have 10 people? Am I still the best at it if I'm doing it for 100 people? Am I still the best at it if I'm doing it for 1,000 people? At some point we become incapable of being at our best. So even if you are absolutely world-class, the best at the thing that you don't want to give up, will you continue to be the best at it if you insist on being the only person that's involved with it? Or does your ability to be the best require you to also have self-care? require you to also have time to recharge, require you to spend time doing things that are creative and not about the business and not about the work you do with clients. Because if we take that to its logical extent, I am the best person to do this, then what we're really saying is I am willing to sacrifice the overall betterment of my clients so that I can stay the best for a small number of people. I love that so much and I've never heard it said that way. Even if you are the best for one or two or three people, are you still the best for a thousand? That just turns your thought or the thought process on its head because there is no way at a that well you couldn't even do that with a thousand people, right? right? It just couldn't happen, let alone you know, maybe even 50 people, actually, I would be tired, I would be overworked, I would be stressed, I would be, you know, having my head in a different, you know, 50 different places all at once. That is just so valuable and such a great way to start to really understand that you do need to bring others in to be able to grow and scale your business. Yeah. I remember, and I wish I could remember who made this comment. It was in a conversation, I think, with with someone. 
And it was about the Broadway show Hamilton. Oh my goodness, I love Hamilton so much. (laughs) Right? So, okay, we can geek out about Hamilton. Maybe that's another episode. We can geek out about (laughs) Hamilton. When you think about the role of Hamilton, Mm -hmm. Lin-Manuel Miranda is Hamilton Mm -hmm. in a lot of people's minds, right? He Mm -hmm. wrote that role for himself to perform. He is absolutely the best Mm -hmm. Hamilton you will ever see. Mm -hmm. The role was literally made for him. If he was the only person that ever performed that role, the opportunity for people to experience the overall genius that is that production Mm -hmm. would be so limited Mm -hmm. because he can only give that performance at one theater at one time. Mm -hmm. When he passes away, he won't be able to continue to provide that performance. If someone two generations from now wants to experience this experience in person, they won't be able to see him do it. So if he insisted that he is the only person ever allowed to play the role of Hamilton, the world would be robbed of the experience of the awesomeness that is Hamilton in its entirety. Mm. Because yes, it's better when you see it with him in the role. Mm -hmm. But if the choice is between seeing it with him in the role and only 10,000 people ever get to experience it versus it going off Broadway and touring around the world and having this cast is that not a better overall way for him to get the message of Hamilton to the people he wants to reach? I was having this exact conversation with my husband on the weekend because Hamilton is coming to Australia, coming to Sydney next April or next March, April. And I was just saying, I wonder who's going to play Hamilton because of mm-hmm. course it's not going to be the same. But, and I was saying, I would love to go to Broadway and see him in the part, obviously, because he's an absolute genius. But at the same time, do I still want to go when it's in Sydney? Of course, because I love the show so much, because I love the humour, I love the music, I love the artistic, the way that it, you know, the way that the whole show is pulled together. So that is the perfect analogy. And also, we don't know that we're even going to fall more in love with the show that we haven't even seen yet because we Mm -hmm. haven't seen someone else's interpretation of that character. It could be completely different. That brings something so different that we just go, oh, I didn't know it could be done better, but that, that really struck a chord. And, And that's just such a beautiful analogy. Yeah, I love this idea. And when I'm kind of asking my clients to imagine possibility, What I ultimately ask them to imagine is imagine that instead of you having to do things in the business, because if you don't, they don't happen. Mm -hmm. What if instead you could choose to do the things? So Hamilton will be shown COVID, knock on wood. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But that show will be available to you to see. And I would suggest that if the original Broadway cast decided that they really wanted to come to Sydney to do a show, they would have the opportunity to do so. They don't have to tour the world for the show to continue to go on, to use the the cliche. Yep, yep. But they have the option and the opportunity to do so. 
And that for me is such a powerful way of thinking about where I want to be as a business owner, where I want my clients to be as business owners, which is you don't have to show up for a call with clients. You don't have to show up in the marketing video. You don't have to be doing whatever it happens to be, but you set your business up and structured it in such a way that if you chose to, um, you could parachute in with a particular client that you really wanted mm. to work with, mm. or you could surprise and delight a group of clients by coming onto a coaching call when they weren't expecting you. Mm -hmm. How much opportunity and how much more freedom it gives when we can choose to express our genius in certain areas through our business instead of if I don't, the business stops functioning. Mm, absolutely. Love that so much. So personal touch. I really want to finish on this note because I think it's mm -hmm. such an important piece of the puzzle and I think it's what is going to make us stand out in a world where 95% of people are on the rooftops right now saying, build a course, build a course, yeah. <laughs> build a course, which for anyone that, that listens to this show knows that I'm all about taking our business online, but I am so not about online courses at all. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so can you, can you talk about how we can keep that personal touch super high? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing is to, never assume that you have to take it out. Mm -hmm. So just you know, right off the top, there's a lot of ideas out there. And this is you know, to harken way back to the beginning of the conversation. There's a lot of ideas about what it means to scale a coaching business or mm -hmm. scale an online business. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I want to do is encourage you, if you're listening to this, just throw out those definitions mm -hmm. for now. Throw out this idea that you can't scale the personal touch. And from there, ask yourself the question, where can I apply the personal touch without necessarily having to do everything mm. personal, without having to do the whole experience as one-on-one -on -one or completely a custom experience, or instead of trying to do everything deeply personal, what if instead I said, what are, think about that process that you mapped out. What are the three, four, five specific touch points where if we made sure that at all costs, we kept that personal touch in those places and everything else, we're willing to investigate other ways of doing it. But these are our non-negotiables. We know that in order to keep value to the client high and value to the business, because guess what? Happy customers also create more profit for the uh -huh. business. Uh-huh. Where are those places where keeping the personal touch is the non-negotiable? Then remember that personal touch doesn't have to mean your touch. Mm -hmm. It has to mean person to person touch. Mm -hmm. That could be you. It could be a team member. But find those places where you're not willing to lose the personal touch and then create opportunities where yourself, a team member, whoever it happens to be, can provide the person-to-person -person touch for that specific piece of your business. I love that because I think that we can get caught thinking personal touch means us and us yes. only, and that is not what you're talking about. You're talking there are 
billions of people in the world. So I'm sure there's someone or a few people out there that can help us to really get those touch points high without our business. Love that so much. Brianne, I know that you have something that you'd like to share with our audience that's going to help them to implement what we've been talking about. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and where we can go to get that? You know, it's interesting because when I talk about this whole idea of bringing on team members and giving them things to do, a lot of people kind of freak out, right? It's like, I've tried that and I never get what I want. Or I can't let someone else talk to my clients because they're not going to do it right and I just can't risk that. And what I've learned through a lot of years of doing this work is that a lot of those things are true because of how we're taught to engage our teams in the work that we're doing. And so what we've done is we put together essentially an epic in-depth look at how delegation is a deception. It doesn't work the way you think it should. It talks about the reasons why, and it talks about how you can build a team that doesn't require you to tell them what to do all the time and gets better results than you ever could on your own. And I don't want to spoil anything more than that. So I'll just tell you that you can go to visionaryceoacademy.com slash thought leader. So visionaryceoacademy.com slash thought leader. We've got that article for you there. You don't have to opt in. You don't have to put your email address, anything like that. And then if you want to get in touch and you want to chat with me a little bit more about what's going on in your business, or you got questions about this episode and you want to get more answers specifically, there's also information on that page about how you can connect with me and with our team here. Fantastic. Brian. thanks so much for sharing all that you have today. Of course, we'll put all of those links into the show notes as always if you're on your afternoon walk and you can't get to your phone because you're paying attention to something else, you won't miss out. Those links will be up in the show notes for later on. Brianne, thank you so much for joining us here today and for sharing so much value. I've loved nerding out with you and yeah, go team Brianne. That's right. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to the show. Whenever you're ready, here are three ways I can help you. Number one, grab a free copy of the Thought Leaders Positioning Checklist over at samantharileyglobal forward slash checklist. Number two, check out my inner circle for coaches, experts, and change makers over at samanthariley.global forward slash inner circle. Or number three, connect with me to discuss how I can work with you on a more personal or a one-on-one level at hello at samanthariley.global. I look forward to hanging out with you here again on Thursday, right here on the Thought Leaders Business Lab.